Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, a couple of notes that we wanted to make before this interview airs. Um, since the uh, interview, I have played Knit Underground, and quite frankly, I am really blown away by it. Um, I, I've been having a lot of dilemmas with how I wanted to score it, and it, it's a dilemma mainly because there's always the word bias that's being tossed around with the way that games are reviewed at bigger places, and uh, we have nothing to gain from me giving a high score to a game or anybody else giving a high score to a game. Um, the reason why this is getting a perfect score is actually because it's a true, genuine experience. Um, just from the way that it looks, the way that it plays, the interactions you have with characters, it's it's something that truly feels magical. Um, kind of like a a 2D side-scrolling journey, I guess, in the way that it makes you feel. Um, great moments in it with the music hitting just right and can really bring tears to somebody's eyes. It was one of those things where I never felt sad during it. I only felt happy, and there were a couple of chuckles. But I found myself in tears sometimes just because the game was so beautiful. It was like uh, seeing Halle Berry if you saw her in person. Because <laughs> I would imagine I, I would imagine that would make you cry probably, right? <laughs> no? What? No? I'm, not, I'm not objecting, but what? <laughs> you know, you see, her, you see her in movies. You're like, Halle Berry is a really, really beautiful woman. And then, you know, if you saw her in person, you'd be like, God damn, that's Halle Berry. Don't tell me that you wouldn't feel that way. Uh, how are we going to explain the mythos that Halle Berry got onto the beginning of his, pod his interview podcast? I, I think he'd be happy about that. I think he'd be like, I don't even want to try to do his voice because it might sound like I'm being a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Halle Perry, she's great. <laughs> I don't know why. He just became Canadian. I thought he was, uh, like, Irish. <laughs> I don't know. It's... All the other countries are the same. We're Americans. That's I mean... Good. All other countries every, are the same. All other countries are commies, like, uh... Like, Uber. Right? Uh... So... So I, that's just my little explanation of the scoring. I mean, I'm still expecting to hear some some negative feedback about it, but I'm completely willing to listen to people criticize the scoring that it's gonna it's gonna have. But um, you know, we'll take that as it comes. I'm genuinely, actually, not afraid. Um, play it. It's definitely, it's something that's worth the $15. Also, uh, another one of the problems was when we did this interview, I had just been woken up. Uh, I'm a heavy sleeper. <laughs> I, I I woke up to Greg beating me, saying, hey, fat ass, wake up. So that was, that was tough. But, I don't know, it, it took a while uh, to really get into the swing of things between me not having my proper uh, interview slash podcast microphone in to being nervous at first because 
when we do these interviews, I don't actually speak to the people first. I set up the interviews and we just email back and forth. I try not to speak to them because I want that genuine bond to actually be there. I don't want something counterfeit to happen, um, which is part of the reason why you hear us talk so highly about his games. Like We actually do love his games. Uh, Greg, you had actually said something about we might come off as we're sucking up to him. We're... I don't think that we're sucking up to him. I think that it's just... He's doing something really special that a lot of people aren't doing. Apparently Greg agrees. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, Eric and I disagree on uh, on what constitutes a good interview. So... <laughs> I, no? I, I would I prefer interviews that uh more just let the game designer talk and uh, the interviewer is more just a, a channel through which the listener is able to learn about the games. Um mm. but that's a point on which on which we disagree. Eric's methodology is that uh you draw more out of the interviewer or the interviewee if you let them know your opinions and, and develop a personal rapport with them. Yes. Well, I, I think that it's easier to listen to if you have like a genuine bond with them. I do understand the funneling of information being just coming from that person. Yes, you do get that flow of information, but I feel by getting by growing a bond with them, it's something more personal that'll make them want something to do with you again, which I would love to have Nicholas on again. He's he was great. He was a genuinely nice guy. He was very pleasant to speak to. Which, you know, made my nervousness melt away, which was great. He didn't make me melt, but you know what I mean. He was a um, humble and humble. He's, he's a very humble man. Especially for so many people that talk great about him. I really appreciated him. We weren't trying to kiss his ass. There's nothing that we're doing that's trying to kiss his ass. I, I do have a different style of the way I want to interview people. Um, also, I wanted to publicly apologize to Greg. There's multiple times that he gets jumped over on between the podcast and in this interview also. Uh, that's that's part of me being so afraid that there's going to be dead air and it's just going to sound really unprofessional. And also, Greg is a very soft-spoken guy. He doesn't, he doesn't speak up very much. And when he does, I don't know if it's an unexpected thing or it's just so quiet when he does. You just hop over, and so it's probably partially the way that I am, the way that my ADHD is. I just go, 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 while I don't allow things to sink in. So it's it's one of those things that I'm very aware of, and I, I really I apologize to you, Mister Gregory. Oh, it's okay, it happens. I love you. Still don't get one of those back. That's great. Um. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's basically the way that I wanted to go about things uh, beforehand. So, uh, if you want to yell at me for the review uh, about giving it a perfect score after doing an interview with him, uh, that'll be over at galacticgamingnews.tumblr.com. That'll be posting at the same time that this interview posts. So, expect that. Uh, go over and look at it, read it, call me a dumbass. Hey, fatty, you're fucking doing this wrong. You biased bastard. Go over to IGN. Oh. 
you know, all that kind of stuff. That's all I got to say. So, Gregory, anything? I hope you enjoy. Mm, please to enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Galactic Gaming News Special Edition interview with Nicholas, creator of the Knit Games. Welcome. Thank you. How are you doing today? Um, quite good, I think. I hope that's the best interview question you've ever gotten. Sorry. <laughs> good, I think. Oh, so? Huh? What was that? Sorry. Uh, okay. Misunderstood. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, I guess we'll start out just like this. How long have you been working on Knit Underground, and when are you expecting it to make its way into retail? Into what? Retail, as in, like, when's it going to be on the market to be downloaded or bought? Oh, it is already. Like, I spent two and a half years on it, uh, and released it in uh, December, super late December or something. And the only thing right now is that we're going to get it out on Steam, basically. So we're going through like the Greenlight process and all that. And and where can that be downloaded at? On your website, the only thing that a lot of people can find is just the demo for it, including myself. Really? Yeah. Uh, there should be like uh, on page. Uh, on the Knit Underground page, there's just this section that says purchase. Yeah, it might be lower on the page or something like that. Uh, I, I, have, I have found it. I now feel like a, an even bigger idiot than I truly am. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really difficult to design websites. Like you, I need to put uh, like all this information in, and at the same time, like, I have to find stuff. And the main trick, the main problem is that People usually don't want to read the text. Uh, Fortunately, we usually do. Uh, somehow, I don't know how, but I missed it. So I, I'm, I'm just a big idiot. Don't worry. <laughs> it turns out that uh, it is available <laughs> and <laughs> completely. How, how much does that run a person? How much does that cost? Um. That's I think it's like probably thirteen dollars or something. Okay. I believe when That's I for myself. I think with the conversion it was um, fifteen dollars in US. Okay. Maybe it's I'm I'm a bit unsure. It's the it's the publishers that set the price, so um, and it shows up in my own currency. So. Well. I Hopefully you don't want to buy it in American dollars. It's, it's probably not worthwhile to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Greg, would you like to ask him a question? Um, so, I guess first a, a more general question. Um, I've noticed, you know, the few of your games that I've managed to play, uh, Night Sky and Knit Stories, um, they often feature, like, lonely, lonely landscapes, um, you have a protagonist, maybe a few enemies, uh, but not much else. Yeah. So, uh, I was wondering, is there anything in particular that draws you to the idea of lonely worlds? Um, I don't know. It's uh, I think it's just, uh, 
it's probably a combination of things because uh, I I just really like uh, I guess it's like when uh, I like exploring myself like nature stuff is if I go out it, that kind of sceneries and places where I really like to go and the stuff I really experience. That's the stuff that inspires me a lot in real life. So I guess it's just reflected in my games, I'd say. I guess uh, in that sense it's not so much a lack of people as it is just a, a greater focus on the environment then. Oh, that's actually a really interesting way of looking at things that actually kind of makes that game feel like it has a whole other meaning now. Well, all of the Knit games, or Knit, I, I have to get used to saying it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what exactly inspired you to create? And what does that word mean? Uh, just first in general. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm not sure, like, I've always had this drive to create things. Uh, it's like always been a part of me. Even as a child, I, I wasn't the type of person who would mainly like pretend things, but I would rather like build details and try to do these constructions and uh, things like that. So uh, I don't know why why I have it myself. Uh, um, if it it's not. It's very necessary that it's actually computer games. If I couldn't have done this, I would have done something else. But as long as I can create, I'm kind of happy. You're making a lot of people happy with what you're doing, so at least your happiness is running over to everybody else. <laughs> I hope so. It's, it's, it's seriously, uh, experiencing Kinect for the first time was, at, at first, I didn't know what to think. I thought, this is really simple. And as time went on, maybe like a couple of minutes passed by, I sat there falling in love with the world. And I was like, it's minimalistic for a reason. It's really letting you take everything in. And by taking everything in, you start to feel more as one with that world. And that was a really special moment between the music, between finding little areas where you see houses and people that you you can't just converse with and you're not out there just killing enemies what you're yeah. doing is you're breathing in that world and that's a that's a really special experience and for you to actually nail it like that was really amazing i'm sure i said amazing a million times there <laughs> i'm glad they like it oh i i love it it's Especially after hearing Edmund McMillan gush about it, it just, it really solidified me really needing to get my hands on it. It, If it resonated so highly with the way that he views games, I knew that it, something about it was going to touch me in the same sort of way. Um, how long did you end up spending working on Underground? Um, I would say two and a half years. Um, about. So it's uh, uh, by far my biggest game, also in like development time. Hmm. I've never spent more than one year on any other game. So uh, it's I, on that note, I was actually wondering. Uh, so 
Would you be able to break it down into the more general phases, like how much of it was planning or getting the engine together? Um, I would say uh, planning is almost uh, very rarely planned. Uh, the, uh, like, I mainly improvise my games uh, a lot, like the content. Huh. Uh, so I, I kind of put together a bunch of like what kind of features I want the game to have. Like so maybe I spent quite uh, maybe I start out with like one month where where I create like an editor and uh, so I can have a tool for designing the world. And I mean I spent about one year on the level designing since on the ground, and uh, I had help from two more people with uh, that and. Uh, who each helped me at like three months each. And then I spent like one year on uh, uh, the stories and the music, which uh, I also got plenty of help with. Mm. And then the, there's like a half year for just uh, putting all the stuff together and like getting everything to feel finished. So I guess level design and music and stories have been like the main three components that really took a long time in this game. Now with knit stories, you were actually able, oh sorry, knit, having some trouble with that now. Um, with that, you were allowed to build your own world in certain ways. Is that a feature in Underground? Um. Well, it's uh, the the editor itself I made is kind of like a, a developer thing. So I mean, it works, but it wouldn't be that understandable for um, most people. I think the thing about Smith Underground is because it's like kind of a lot more complicated on the inside. It has like these story things and um, like you know, more advanced graphics. It's um, like, I really want to make an editor for it, but uh, I would need to spend quite a lot of time on it. Like, the support is there, but there's just not a good a good editor at this point. And Knut Stories was such a simple game, so it wasn't hard to make an editor for it. Mm. I, I can definitely say that Everything that I've seen out of it, and I'm sorry that I haven't played it yet, it is gorgeous. It is stunningly beautiful. Sorry, I pressed the wrong button there. Oh, Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, press the button and then get disconnected from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was saying was that it's it's probably, from everything that I've seen, and I apologize for not playing it, it's really beautiful. Like, the graphically and everything it is it's gorgeous thank you i i just uh figured you definitely needed to know that i i couldn't <laughs> believe how much of a difference it is from playing the first connect to seeing what that one has become it it kind of reminds me a little bit of you mixing connect with uh night sky yeah now, do those do those worlds go together, or are they completely two separate worlds? Uh, technically, like all, all my worlds are like the same universe. Mm. Uh, 
but I, I, I don't usually go into like if you've played all my games like within a deep forest and uh, stories uh, and uh, night sky you will start to notice that there are similar names uh, and places and that is actually all taking place in the same universe mm-hmm. but it's not on the other hand it's uh, uh, things are not necessarily always consistent across the games uh, like scales may vary and uh, a place may look different in a different game. So it's more like different interpretations or representations of the same universe, but it's still like one story and there's a lot of cross references between games. Uh, like in Knut Underground, they talk a lot about, like the characters talk about stuff that if you have played Knut and stories and within a deep forest you actually recognize what they are referring to. I, I have noticed a little bit of that crossover. I just wasn't positive how they fit in together if they were around the same area in the world or anything like that, but it really did seem like everything goes together. Like, sure, it doesn't have the same name, but each one of them interweave themselves into each other. Yeah. And uh, especially the, the fun thing about Knit Underground is that the, the entire top of the world is actually the same location as the entire bottom of the world in within a deep forest. So if you actually travel through the top part of the map and have played the previous game, you will start to recognize like all the different things and things like that. And even if even though the places aren't always named up there you will actually know what the names are just from having played the previous game. Hmm. And I like references. I like adding references like that. There's definitely good references to have, I must say. Being able to yeah. be being able to intertwine those together is it's really cool to see something like that. And that's something that can really build a fan base and when and when you have that fan base already established as you do, that's something that they can start to smile about in another way. I mean, your games already, for some reason, just instantly put a smile on somebody's face. (laughs) And something like that can just make it even better. It's a really amazing thing to do, and I I think that it was really smart on your part to do something like that, to make them feel like they're already initiated in your world in such such a really meaningful way in the end. Yeah, I try to. I'm 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 very careful though. To I, I don't want to ever have the feeling that you have uh, like that you need to play uh, one game before you play another. Like there's there's no order in which my games should be played in, um, and there's no game that you have to play at all uh, to play another. But that. That if you, it's more like a puzzle with like different pieces, and uh, that uh, like the puzzle will probably never be completed, but you can still like put some pieces together and get a bigger image. Now, were there any other games that you've played that have inspired your games in any sort of way? I mean, tons of tons of games. Uh, I usually find something in most games I play that uh, inspires me, and uh, so it's 
Uh, well, I'm I'm glad I haven't seen any Call of Duty inspiration, so that's been really nice. <laughs> yeah, does uh, Knit Underground have a shoehorned multiplayer? <laughs> that that would be uh, that'd be horrible. Zombie mode. Like uh, the first Knut game was really inspired by uh, the game Eco for the PlayStation Two. Uh, just uh, uh, subtraction. Uh, what is designed by subtraction idea that just take away as much as possible from the game instead of just having lots of stuff there. Before we started the interview, we were actually just speaking about that. That's really interesting that you said this. Pretty much the same thing that we were just talking about. <laughs> we were we were speaking pretty in depth before we started the interview about how your game seemed to have some of those minimal aspects as Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, because he had said that reading yeah. one of your interviews, you were talking about how those games had inspired you, and I was talking about how I could really see that. Yeah, and I, I think even like uh, there's a lot of newer games, uh, like Proteus, for example, that even pulls that further, where even the uh, the even what are classic for games, like classical game things that games should have. Even those are gone now with like no challenges or things like that. And it feels like that stuff is gonna inspire me for future games too. So I already know now know which kind of games that I will Yeah, that really blew my mind when I played them and it will probably affect me a lot from this point. Now, do you plan on sticking with the side-scrolling 2D adventure games, or are you planning on going into other genres? I don't know yet. I, I really want to experiment with more things. Uh, maybe get into 3E and uh, just to learn it. Uh, I don't think it's... Uh, like, right now, I don't have many ideas, so I don't know what my next game is going to be. Um, but I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you're not just disappearing on us. No, uh, like maybe in twenty years I'm gonna disappear because then I will prob probably convert my game company into a brewery and do beers instead. <laughs> uh, that's like my long-term plan. But at least for twenty years I'm gonna do games. Hey, that's actually a pretty good life goal, I must say. Yeah, no, I'm gonna make like amazing stuff and stuff. Within a deep forest <laughs> pale ale. Uh, sorry. Within a deep forest. Actually, pale that's ale. a really good idea. You you could definitely you could have your own brew of each one of your games. That'd be really yeah. neat. That is true. Definitely have within a deep forest one. <laughs> it's gonna taste like forest. You can have uh, all kinds of fungus brewed into it. It'd be great. When you open it, a mushroom can sprout out of it. That doesn't sound healthy. <laughs> well, healthy or not, okay, fine. You can drink it out of a mushroom. <laughs> you like this? I'm a thinking man. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> Actually, uh... Now that you brought up profession, um, I had read that you work for a newspaper, and uh, 
I was actually curious. Like, it's not. It, do you ever bring your job home with you and and put some of that in your games? Uh, that that was actually many years ago. That that was uh, maybe two thousand and six, maybe when I'd lost it. That's now I. Since then, I've only worked full time on my own games. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't know what to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> has that job and what you what you did uh i believe that it was that you had a job working with special needs children or writing with special needs children or something right yeah exactly now uh, did any of that inspire any of your games in any sort of way i don't think that uh, job inspired me that much i think that was a bit uh, i have to say even even though it's a, a very it was a very like important job itself. Uh, I wouldn't say that it was even my thing. It, I was quite out of place in it. So I, I don't think that inspired me that much. I think you uh, you had a pretty admirable job there. I think that that's a that's pretty amazing in its own right. Uh, as somebody who really always wants to work with special needs in some sort of way, I think that that's really awesome. It makes me like you yeah, even more than I already did. I think the, the the job itself is super important. One of the reasons is because there's a lot of people who are actually like um, they are like intelligent enough to want to do some proper uh, like some proper job. Uh, and what we offered here was like a proper uh, newspaper that would actually be sent out to like a lot of like uh, yeah the different places. Uh, only, only thing is that I wasn't very suited for the job myself because I, I kind of got easily distracted by my own projects and stuff like that. They, to be perfectly honest, they probably deserve some guy who's better than me at that job. Well, if you're going to make games, so, time, I, you can't I, claim I, with that. That's true. I'm sorry? Oh, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, he was talking to you, Greg. Oh, uh, that's what you said. <laughs> if you were gonna make full ga games full time, then uh, can't say I find anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, I'm really happy that I I went for that. It's super fun. Oh, trust me, we're happy about it too. <laughs> Very uh, much. I think the main thing is because I'm the the luxury of being my own boss is that I can just do random stuff like. Uh, decide that no, now I'm gonna live in Denmark for a while and uh, things like that. And I kind of like that freedom to not have to be in a specific place at a given time. Speaking of where you're from and everything, uh, you're originally yeah. from Sweden, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, what are your thoughts on PewDiePie? <laughs> what? Uh, on PewDiePie, he is, uh, he's from Sweden, he is a gamer who plays video games oh, on no. the internet, and usually screams <laughs> about barrels. Uh, how's the name spelled? I haven't checked this guy out, actually. Oh, he's, he's huge, he has, like, the fastest growing channel ever on YouTube, he has, like, I believe, like, 24 million subscribers or something, it's, uh, P-E-W-D-I-E 
P-I-E. He is a oh. Swedish oh gamer. Uh, I haven't checked this out. I, I guess I will after this uh, interview. Oh, you can, well, you can that- do it during the interview if you want. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, on, on the other hand, I have a really amazing moment uh, from, uh, so when I'm in Sweden, I live at uh, Inumia, which is kind of in the far north. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so one day, my friend from Germany posted uh, like a YouTube video of uh, regular ordinary Swedish mealtime. And uh, the funny thing is, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's, it's kind of weird cooking show. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. quite insane, and uh, uh, and you know on the video this was the video where he actually the guy goes out and shops the ingredients before he you know, cooks them. Yeah, and I started to recognize the store that hey wait I recognize I know know the store and then outside like pinpoint where in uh, this was actually filmed I realized this is local this is like here in Nuno. And the day after, they just randomly walked into where I have my office. And uh, so it was just this really cool moment. Like one day, I just hear about this internet meme the first time. And then the day after, they just walk in, which is completely random. But it was like quite awesome. That is pretty awesome. Maybe maybe one day you can meet up with PewDiePie and you guys can be in a video together yelling at barrels and stuff. Um, yeah. He he's kind of a polarizing figure. It seems like a lot of people hate him and a lot of people love him, but a lot of people just love to hate him. And that's kind of like yeah. the problem with it. He's he's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. For some reason living in Italy now, probably because of his girlfriend, but nonetheless, just uh wanted to see if you knew him since you guys were both from Sweden and you both have had some pretty good success. Oh, no, I've never heard about him before now. It's okay. You don't. You don't need to. Your your success is better than his. You've you've been creating games that people love, and he'll end up playing them one day, and he won't have okay. anything to yell about barrels for, I guess. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let me see. Oh, currently. Night Sky HD is on the Humble Bundle. How yeah, did you awesome. get in contact with them? Uh, the funny thing here is that I did not do that. That was Tyrone who in Michalis. Um, so uh, he, has, he had probably mentioned it to me before it actually went online. I can't remember. Um, must have forget it often because when I uh, I was just the day when the uh, when the indie bundle went online, I actually uh, spotted my own game in there. I was really surprised. <laughs> it was in a really good way. Uh, like I was like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" Like that. That is so. It, it was it was amazing seeing that on there. I was like, "Whoa, holy fuck!" I, I can't believe this. Just like this is on here. I, I'm. I'm waiting to pick it up currently. Uh, still got a couple more dollars to gain before I grab it, and then I'll I'll be grabbing that. So I'm very excited to be playing that in HD. Yeah. So basically, both times when I've been in the humble Linda bundle, that was thanks to Tyrone. So at uh, Nikolaev, so he's the guy who should be credited for that. 
Oh, so we shouldn't even we shouldn't even have you on here right now. Is what you're saying? <laughs> we should. Just a, lot, just a lot cooler than me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm finding that hard to believe. I don't know. Now I see I why it's like called the humble game. indie bundle. Ah. Apparently, you might be right. We both find you to be quite a humble gentleman. <laughs> um, with that, is there actually with how many copies end up getting sold of the indie bundles, is there actually a way that you can make a good amount of money off of it? Or is that something that's kind of like, well, there's a little bit of money to be made, nothing special, nothing worth considering? Uh, basically, I make uh, I make much more money off, off, off like the previous Humble Bundle, and this one I made far more money than anything else in my uh, game career and uh, and basically in my case because I, I don't have a particularly expensive life uh, uh, and I don't because I do most of the work myself when I develop my games I actually don't need that much money to like uh, it's not like a company with five six people where I need to divide the money between like a lot of employees but of the money I get, the percentage is actually really high, and that means that I, I can live off smaller quantities. And actually, the, the amount I get from a humble indie bundle is quite massive for me. So I'm super happy about that. But then, of course, I don't know how long I have to live off that money either. <laughs> uh, I have to survive until I can make like new games and stuff, so it's not like it's not just go and spend it all and expect to like that that's the that's I guess that's the tricky part about having it as a full time job. Like uh a certain amount of money doesn't actually say anything um more than how much I have to live by until I can create my next game. Which I don't know how much it's gonna sell either. So it's not a job of warranties and stuff. There's always the uh, ability for Kickstarter now, which is kind of a nice thing for game developers. It yeah. seems to have really picked up uh, pace with a lot of different people, especially when uh, I believe it was Double Fine Studios had put something on there and they made like three or four times the money that they hadn't ever intended to. <laughs> and that, yeah. that probably helped. Mm, yes, exactly. I could not remember what it was, and there's supposed to be a documentary film about it and all sorts of different things. So yeah. that's actually one of those things that's really helped people realize that there's something like Kickstarter out there that could possibly help them. So yeah. you never know. I mean, I hopefully it doesn't have to come down to that, but there's always that avenue to take. Or um, I know in Canada uh, – you know about Fez, the game, yeah. right? Well, with that, that was Canadian funded originally. Uh, before it took Phil four years to put it out, he was funded by the Canadian government for that whole thing. They gave him an office and everything. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Maybe that's a possibility in other countries as well. I mean, I don't think that you're going to have that much trouble considering a lot of people know who you are. Uh, 
turns out that I was actually late to the party on that one. I don't know how I had gone so long. Um, part of it's probably because I'm figuring out recently how much more important indie games are to me than the big AAA titles. I I get really tired of the same military shooter games over and over again, and those are super popular over here, and uh, so popular that for some reason it seems to have downgraded the intelligence level of our youth, but it happens. Um between that and the same old same old with assassins it's it's really nice to see these indie games that allow for something different and something new and i think that you're one of those people who've really paved a way for an adventure game with minimalistic qualities to it so it's it's definitely one of those things where there are creators that need to be looked at more and with you, I'm figuring out I really connect to your games in a completely different way that I connect to some other indie games and definitely more than these AAA titles that just don't seem to matter. Uh, yeah. I guess there's... Uh, yeah, I'm quite depressed about like the state. I went to Gamescom in Germany, which is... Uh, it's the yes. biggest in the world now. It seems so. There were just so many people there, and um, I was actually quite depressed about the state of the AAA industry because it's like it was almost like being at a porn convention, it's like extreme, <laughs> uh, like half-naked girls and like on the AAA games about like males shooting other males. Um, mm-hmm. It's. Uh, I was so depressing, uh, and the, of course there are good AAA games too. Like oh. there's always exceptions, uh, but I was really surprised that I was hoping that the game industry would kind of like have grown out a little bit of that at least. But especially now that the uh, a lot of like older people are are like playing games now than before. It's not at all the teenagers anymore. Yeah. It, it's it's become a, a huge cultural thing at this point in time where it's become bigger than going to the movies to see the next Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, film. Instead, now it's stay home and play some kind of game because it lets you be a part of it. And that's definitely more special than just watching somebody else do it. Yeah. But I think also think that, it, of course, it, like the development we have is actually really good. And the thing is fantastic in like Proteus and Journey. And it really gets my hopes up. And uh, the shift in focus, the kind of games that get a lot of attention now is, has changed. Like um, before it was uh, like the super high budget games that would like have all the attention. But now? It's games like I even hear more about Journey and like The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and, and games like that that are, of course, still by kind of big studios, but they're not like the massive triple A sort of thing. Like the focus is still really shifting, and I really like that. Yeah, it's and maybe that's open for a new type of games, like like a, like for grown up games, I would say. 
Yeah, and those two games are, I believe that those two games are incredibly important to the industry. Uh, last year, um, The Walking Dead ended up being our game of the year, and Journey was our runner-up for game of the year. And that's yeah. that's a big deal when you look at previous years, it was always Mass Effect or something by Rockstar or any of those games. And with this past year going by, it was completely weird. Uh, and I ended up having to write an article about it because it was such an interesting thing that happened where those weren't the games that mattered because the market's so oversaturated with them. Instead, we have these new titles that are telling a story through a completely different way that make a huge difference. Exactly. Like this um, year, we got the reboot of Devil May Cry. We've had that new Metal Gear game with a weird name that isn't even a word. <laughs> and so far this year, out of everything that's come out, the best game that I've played is Super House of Dead Ninjas. Uh, I haven't heard about that one. Oh, it's uh, it originally started out as a Flash game. Uh, it's by Megadev Studios, and originally it was just a Flash game. They're a Flash company, and yeah. it got so popular that they ended up that Adult Swim ended up uh, putting it out as a retail version. And huh. they didn't add a lot to it, but it's a game that's like $7 instead of the $60 yeah. that I, I had for Devil May Cry. This $7 game has the most content, and it's honestly the best thing that i played so far this year. Awesome. Yeah, I'm In, watching a video of it now. It looks really good. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's not like... The way it looks is nothing the way that it feels when you play it. It's like when you play Super Meat Boy and it no longer feels like you're controlling it. It just feels like it's all a part of your mind. Like every little twitch movement you make actually just happens. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a very amazing thing. And that's like a whole different kind of immersion that we're seeing in indie games now is the way of movement actually feeling like it's just the second part of your brain and then yeah. with the other side of indie games which is where i would put you at which you're probably the master of it is putting you into that game based upon the environment that you're in in those games it really drags you in yeah <clears throat> but um i love the diversity yeah so many different focuses. It's every different games. Now, have you ever been in contact with Jonathan Blow? Uh, no, not really. Oh, I... For some reason, uh, I, I, I'm such a gaming nerd that for some reason I, I dream about video games sometimes. And... I had this weird dream that you and Jonathan Blow had made a game together, and no. it was a mixture of Braid and Knit. It was <laughs> one of the coolest things ever, and um, for some reason, it was uh, all of us going to conventions and everything, and you guys were the most popular thing that was at this convention. <laughs> So it was it was just one of those really weird and cool dreams and I'm sorry that I dreamt about you because that's just kind of strange <laughs> now that I think about it but um I, I just I think that 
there are certain indie developers that will work together, but they're very hesitant because with indie developers, it's their imagination and it's what matters most to them. But I think that you and you and John Blow should get in contact with each other and you guys should definitely make a game together at some point in time and make my dream come true. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, li I actually like working with people a lot and uh, I do it at uh, Game Jams. I think it's just more like a, a, it's more a practical thing that makes it tricky to uh, work with people on long-term projects. Well, I mean, you get to find somebody to work with who's also not at that point actually doing a project already, and uh, and you have to like be into some phase where uh, uh, what both of you want to do at the same time kind of matches. I guess like I'm super up to working in teams, and I actually really miss it. I, or I think I would rather work in a small studio than the way I do now. But I guess it just haven't happened yet a lot because I guess I need to find the people and uh, figure out what what we can do that like kind of works with both our visions and stuff. Well, I don't know if you yeah. want to work with John Blow anyways. He's kind of a dangerous man, I guess. He, uh, he's got a black belt in a few different martial arts, and he apparently punches holes through people's chests. So you have to be uh, really yeah. yeah, you know, he's he can be dangerous, I guess. I mean, I guess he's a nice guy, and he's kind of funny, but he'll kill you. Yeah, yeah, I should watch out for those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I have this, I have this, uh, I have this fear of John Blow for some reason. He he scares me ever since Ed told me those stories about him. So, I, li I like it. Like it, it's probably like the rumors keep growing too. Now, now when you are spreading things like this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, maybe I this wasn't my fault. Maybe this maybe was I, Ed's fault. <laughs> I've actually once I tried to spread one about myself too. <laughs> but it didn't quite work out. That I, at a game jam where uh, I got the question like what I do, and then I explained that I have a secret a game development laboratory under the lakes in Copenhagen where uh, I develop. I don't uh, I don't need the screen because I already know what's on it. So I don't have a computer screen. I just have a, a desktop computer in my beard. <laughs> and then it's connected to Sketchboard. I just type on that. And that's how I develop my games. Uh, so that's completely true, right? That did so. <laughs> oh, God, that's going to come to fruition. We are going to tell everybody this. Uh, it's kind yes. of necessary. Yeah. You have a very magical beard, I, I must say. So, <laughs> it, it understand, or now I understand exactly why your beard is so magical, though. Yeah, it, it needs to fit the desktop computer. <laughs> oh god! So, <laughs> sorry. see, I could see like a netbook, but I don't know about a desktop. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, gosh, on IGN's uh, one of their podcasts this past week. I'm sorry, I'm still laughing. Um, on one of IGN's podcasts this past week, they, they had mentioned something that I had no idea about. They said Knit Underground was out on PlayStation 3 this past week. Um, oh. 
with some other indie developers, they said it's really hard to work along with Sony. Uh, nobody ever says why. Nobody ever makes it sound like Sony's an evil company. They just say it's really hard to work with them. Um, was that a hassle for you in any sort of way? And is like, that game, do you think that game's going to end up being popular on the PlayStation 3? I don't know. Like, uh, I actually, the way I worked with the Clint Underground is that a separate company made the console port, and then uh, the publishers took care of the contact with Sony. So, in my case, my only answer is like, I don't actually know because I wasn't the one who uh, uh, had those contacts. Is is that scary for you, having your own game be out of your hands? Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. It's it's one of those things that... Uh, it's kind of like what happened with Cave Story Plus. You did the music on Cave Story Plus, correct? Well, I made a, uh, I made a part of the soundbank, actually. My friend Jan made a lot of the remixes for the tunes, and I helped out with, uh, like, an electric and if I remember properly, wasn't there some kind of something happened with that where it didn't work properly at first, right? I think the, the sound, the music playback engine, uh, I don't know, I, I don't exactly know what happened, but I think the music was playing a bit wrong. Uh, then it was fixed, but. It, it was something with, uh, I think it had to do with the Wii using a very old uh, format for playing, like, music. I, I don't actually remember the details completely. I, uh, I saw an interview where you were talking about it, and you looked like you were really upset about it, and I was like, oh man, this poor guy. You, you seemed really upset because you can tell by the way that you present yourself that you try to do things right and you try to do it right the first time. And it seemed like something like that. You were just like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm glad it was. I haven't, I haven't played the Wii version. I, I have it on my PC and makes me sad knowing that you worked on the Wii version. I was like, oh, well. Eric is a huge fan on of the PC Wii. Version. Yes, yes. Totally a huge fan of the Wii. <laughs> um, man, what was I... I? had something. No, no, I didn't. The Wii just knocked it out of Greg, your head. Greg, do you have a question? Um, this is a little off topic, but actually, uh, since Night Sky came up a little while ago, um, I've been wondering, uh, in Knit Stories and Night Sky, I've noticed a big part of uh, of the gameplay is escaping gravity, where Knit Stories, of course, is about you know getting higher jumps and getting wall jumps. Um, and in Night Sky, sometimes you get like flying machines, and uh, you can reverse gravity yeah. sometimes. So I was wondering, like, uh, is there something about gravity that you find interesting to toy with, or what? Um, I that's a tricky one. I guess, I guess it's in a platformer. It's very natural that. Gravity is like, I guess it's just very natural as a mechanic. Um, in Night Sky, I thought it was, uh, the only thing uh, that's kind of special in that, I guess, is that I didn't actually want to have a jump out, but I wanted 
the uh, escaping gravity part to be based on actually just rolling sideways and using that momentum to go on ramp and that way go up. But I, I haven't thought about it that much more than that. It is really neat getting to operate all the different machines using just like rolling left and right. Yeah, I had uh, I had a lot of fun building them and trying to come up with these designs. Also because it was the first time I ever experimented with uh, physics. I hadn't done that before. But actually, it's a really fun detail about the game is that the reason you see these machines later in the game is because I designed Night Sky. I started to design the first world, then I did the second, and then I made a third. So I got be better with the physics, and I got better with... I implemented more ways to manipulate the physics, which is why this vehicle starts showing up and later in the game, because those levels are usually the first time the support for those type of vehicles actually existed. So uh, is that... A lot of the things... Is that sort of thing common in game development, where as you get further in designing the game, uh, you get more confident with the programming? Uh, I think so. Like, uh, that, that's only natural. But in most games, uh, I haven't designed the, designed the first world. I usually don't design the worlds in order. So normally you cannot see the progression in the way that you can actually see it in Night Sky, where you play the all worlds in the same order as it was designed. I see. Hmm. Well, it turns out I'm actually completely out of questions between how many of my questions you answered just by speaking about things really in depth. You, uh, <laughs> you killed my question bank, which is definitely a good thing. I'm glad you did because you hit every point that I wanted to hit. Uh, Greg, do you have any? I, uh, I'm out of questions too. Oh, man. Well, I guess we'll let you get back to making things that are uh, actually really good, but we really appreciate you joining us, and it, it, was a, it was a true pleasure. You're a great guy. Thank you. So, Thanks. Please, please yeah. never, never go work and make Call of Duty, and keep on making the games <laughs> you're making, because, my God, you are good at what you do. I don't know. I would like to see yeah, Call of Duty uh... from you. I think that'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We should try to make something like that. Well, we expect to see you in a, a couple of PewDiePie videos now. <laughs> we're hoping we're hoping yeah. to see you guys sitting next to each other, yelling at barrels and uh, talking about how Swedish you guys are. <laughs> I really gotta check out these videos and see what they're all about. Oh wait, there's I, a lot of yelling. That's that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. Speaking of <laughs> other famous people from Sweden. Professional wrestling. What do you think about professional wrestling first? Oh, no. Uh, I don't know much about it at all. I think it's very... Um, I don't think it's very silly, obviously. Oh, yeah. But in a kind of... Uh, uh, like, what kind of wrestling is this? Is it the... The WWE type of thing, uh, where... You guys have a representative named Antonio Cesaro, whose name is actually Claudio Castagnoli. He's he's uh, from I, Sweden, and he is very much into his coffee. And his 
uh, big thing that he likes to say is that he is very European. Uh, I have no idea. I, I, I'm not into this stuff at all, basically. Uh, but I do know, the little I do know about the sport is that it's like the kind of uh, like fake stories that yes. they come up with. And, and the, like all the tricks that they use to actually like make it look like they hurt a person a lot when it should hurt as little as possible. And, and at the same time that it's actually like, like a, I don't know, I got into a conversation about it with a guy recently who was explaining how how much more complicated it is than it just seems like how it's actually very dynamic uh, with like somebody like directing the uh, the matches like on the fly and like they have these signals that kind of so they can tell each other what to do and stuff like that yep. I just heard it like highly complicated more than it's seems to be when you look at it. You should. But I don't know anything about it except that. You should start watching it just so you can get into Claudio Castagnoli. He is a uh, <laughs> he is a very, very nice man. I just, for some reason, maybe I'm a little bit slow, but I just realized that every person I've ever heard of from Sweden and every person I've ever talked to that's either that's from Sweden is really nice. What is it about Sweden that makes you guys so nice? <laughs> uh, well, no, yeah, whatever. You guys are all uh, nice people for some reason. I don't, I don't, I don't exactly get it, but I guess it's a really good thing because Americans, we're all kind of jerks. It's just, uh, we're not <laughs> so exactly. Uh, I've been in America once, and uh, I got a really good impression when I went there. Ooh. Like they. In America, everybody was super nice to me, except the airport security. Those were assholes. <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> They're mean to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Americans in general are not exactly the nicest of people. I think probably the nicest person I've ever met from America is actually Greg, and uh, that's very rare. You don't usually find those. Usually Americans are like, we're better than everybody, and we're probably going to bomb your country. <laughs> so that that's America for you. Is it, is this the first time you've ever been interviewed about wrestling, Nicholas? <laughs> it is. Oh man. Well, I'm glad it's, that we uh, gave you first. It's uh, not not a big thing in Sweden wrestling at all. It, it's it's actually really growing in Germany now, uh, which is yeah. really cool. Like they're doing it in German nightclubs and everything. So it's, oh. it seems to be spreading around, and I actually figured maybe it had gotten bigger in Sweden now that Claudio had made it to the WWE, so I guess I was wrong. So, but I don't, I don't know, of course. I, I, when I'm here, I don't have a TV, and most of the time I live in Denmark anyway. It's, it's, so, so do you not know about Hulk Hogan or anything like that? Oh, I've heard of him. Oh, okay. See, wrestling was something I grew up on. It's it's kind of a joke <laughs> in this country, but in other countries, it's taken very seriously. But in America, it's just like, it's a big joke to people. <laughs> I don't know why. For some reason, Americans make a joke out of everything, though. Yeah. Kind of sad, but whatever. But, um, 
let's do this closing. I don't know exactly what to say to close it out. Usually that's Jimmy that, that closes out things. So, so Niflis, is there anything you'd like to plug before we uh, close this out? Um, um, sorry, if there's anything oh, like that's that, anything I want to add. That was probably a stupid American terminology. Um, oh. <laughs> Advertise. Like tell, a, us, tell us where we can find your games and if you want to be contacted on Twitter or anything like that. Yeah, so basically, you can just Google Niflas and, and you'll find my game. And uh, um, of course, like Knit Underground is on Greenlight now, so yes. I really want to gather votes and, you know, that stuff. Oh, we will definitely be posting a link to that. Uh, when we do an interview, we keep on posting the interview. So there will definitely be a link to the green light. I have already voted for it. I have favorited it. I have added it to every list that I possibly could. So uh, that'll that'll be definitely something that we're going to post around so people know. And we will be posting your website. Uh, what about Twitter or anything like that? I'm also on Twitter on uh... Uh, I'm called Niklas Nygren after my full name, and uh, mo most of the stuff I post is nonsense. So nonsense is definitely a good thing. Yeah, most of the stuff that I post is nonsense as well. Either nonsense <laughs> or something about wrestling. <laughs> Maybe bad. Oh, yeah, I should definitely add. So I can like see what's happening there. Oh well. I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> well, it was very nice to have you on the show. Uh, we appreciate it, and we hope to have you back soon. Yeah, thanks. Have a good day. I would love to. Yeah, you too.